Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 168, I think. Before we get started, I'd like to thank the following people for liking The Week in Doubt Facebook page. Jeremiah Bannister, John Paul Billingsley Jr., David Duncan, John Steinheimer, Srimanthan Pramadan, hope I didn't butcher your name, and uh, I think that's it. I, I hope that's it. My apologies if I missed anyone. Uh, a sincere thanks, guys. It means a lot. It might seem like a little thing, you know, liking the page, but it lets me know people are actually listening, and it also helps spread the word about the show. Also, there's something I meant to mention last week, and I forgot. In case you weren't aware, my friend C-Web, a.k.a. Chris Weber, and I have started a side project. It's a podcast entitled Skeptical Politics, and it's actually Chris's brainchild, so I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. I think at first it's going to be bi-weekly, and then if it becomes popular enough, we may increase the number of episodes per month. We've already released the inaugural episode. You can find it on iTunes. Just look for Skeptical Politics. And hats off once again to Chris for the excellent job uh, he did editing the first episode. He's a lot better at that stuff than I am. And if you're wondering what the show's about, well, the title is basically self-explanatory. It's just two skeptics talking about the issues of the day, which is pretty cool because it gives Chris and I both a chance to explore topics we might not usually talk about on our regular podcasts. And if you're not familiar with uh, Chris's work, please check out his podcast, C-Web Sunday School, which is at least semi-retired, uh, but it's a great show, and the eps are still up on iTunes. Uh, <clears throat> eps is my own bizarre abbreviation for uh, episode. Does it have kind of a douche chill thing going on? My apologies. Uh, and, but the episodes are still up on iTunes. And also check out Paranormal Skeptic Academy, which is Chris's current podcast. And all this talk about skeptical politics should help me segue nicely, I hope, into the first topic on the agenda. So one of the things Chris and I talked about during the inaugural episode was the Pope and politics. And I briefly in passing touched on the subject of the Reformation and the historic divide between Catholics and Protestants. And I mentioned uh, papal corruption, paid indulgences, etc. Well, my explanation of paid indulgences was brief, to say the least. And I received a thoughtful comment on Facebook from listener Will Nist. So I thought I'd read that and then talk a little bit more about the Reformation and indulgences. So here's uh, Will's comment. Interesting preview podcast. I've never been around for anyone's inaugural podcast. I do have a comment on indulgences and progressive politics and the Reformation. The issue at the Reformation was how salvation was to be had, through personal effort, carrying J.C.'s cross, or merely accepting J.C. as your savior. The Catholic's viewpoint was the former. Indulgences did not forgive sin. Only confession to a priest forgave sin but remitted the punishment due to your sins after being confessed. Catholics cleverly invented purgatory as the place where you were purged of the punishment. 
And indulgences were a ticket to erase some of that punishment. Indulgences were originally a proxy for good works, that is. Instead of, say, feeding the hungry, you could give a monetary donation to the church, and they would do it for you, but you would get the credit. Sort of like how we give to UNICEF and expect that impoverished children will be taken care of. The indulgence in question at the time of the Reformation was one, though, of contributing to the building of St. Peter's Basilica, so you may or may not find that a worthwhile cause. Purgatory was the great equalizer of justice amongst human beings. Catholics do not think it is right for someone to sin. Kimmy, I am thinking of you, and I don't know if Kimmy is hypothetical or not, but anyway, and get the same reward as somebody who late in life accepts JC as their Lord and Savior. The sinner should have some consequences for their lifetime of sinful actions. So purgatory was the location of this great dispenser of justice, and indulgences were an encouragement for someone in that situation to do some good. I think my background in R.C. theology, Roman Catholic theology, is partly responsible for my progressive politics. I think you need to get off your ass and do something good. This is not an intellectual assent like Protestants make. They think good works are a result of submission to J.C. But you actually have to feed the hungry or pay somebody to do it. Thus, there is a connection between purgatory, indulgences, justice, and progressive politics that I think is underappreciated. And that is why some of the Pope's social justice stand, or maybe uh, he means stance, sounds so good even to us atheists. And uh, I want to thank Will again for that very thoughtful commentary. And it's funny, I just republished, I guess, the original Week in Doubt Halloween special. And I've been doing that uh, the last two years, playing it around uh, Halloween time. And in that special, it's fine. It was so long ago that I recorded it that I forgot some of the content. I actually mention uh, Martin Luther in passing, I believe, and how Reformation Day coincides with Halloween. And uh, according to legend or some accounts, uh, Martin Luther supposedly nailed his um, 95 theses to a church door in Wittenberg, uh, was it, um, on uh, October 31st, and supposedly that's what sparked the uh, Protestant Reformation. But I think I'll, I'll read uh, about that a bit from some articles. And this is from Wikipedia, and this is on Reformation Day. Reformation Day is a religious holiday celebrated on October 31st alongside All Hallows' Eve in remembrance of the Reformation, particularly by Lutheran and some Reformed Church communities. It is a civic holiday in the German states of Brandenburg, Mecklenburg, Vorpommern, <laughs> Saxony, Saxony-Anhalt, and Thuringia. Uh, I'm sure I butchered at least some of those uh, place names, as well as in Slovenia, since the Reformation contributed profoundly to that nation's cultural development, although Slovenes are mainly Roman Catholics, or Slovenese, I don't know. Uh, not only is playing the Halloween episode a weekend out uh, ritual or tradition, but so is my butchering of uh, various uh, place names and uh, proper nouns, etc., uh, let's see. Um, it, it has also been a national holiday in Chile, of all places, since 2009. 
In the United States, churches often transfer the holiday so that it falls on the Sunday, called Reformation Sunday, on or before October 31st, with All Saints Day moved to the Sunday on or after November 1st. And uh, this, I think, is uh, relevant or germane to what I was just talking about. Here's a little bit of the history of uh, Martin Luther and his 95 Theses and how it ties into the topic of paid indulgences. And this is also from Wikipedia. I just want to make sure I give credit where credit is due so I don't get accused of being a Jacqueline Glenn-esque plagiarist. Okay, so, but in 1516 through 17, Johann Tetzel, a Dominican friar and papal commissioner for indulgences, was sent to Germany to raise money to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Good call on that one, Will. That's me acknowledging uh, Will Niss, not the Wikipedia article. Wouldn't that be wacky? Uh, on the 31st of October, 1517, Martin Luther wrote to Albrecht, Archbishop of Mainz and Magdeburg, protesting against the sale of indulgences, he enclosed in his letter a copy of his Disputation of Martin Luther on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences, which came to be known as the 95 Theses. Hans Hillerbrand writes that Luther had no intention of confronting the church, but saw his disputation as a scholarly objection to church practices, and the tone of the writing is accordingly, searching rather than doctrinaire. Hildebrand writes that there is nevertheless an undercurrent of challenge in several of the theses, particularly in Theses 86, which asks, Why does the Pope, whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus, build the Basilica of St. Peter with the money of poor believers rather than with his own money? Well, that that is a good question. And it always stuck out to me like a sore thumb you know, when supposedly Jesus was uh, preaching giving to the poor, uh, humility, how it's uh, tougher for a rich man to get to the kingdom of heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Um, with all that, and and the stuff about you know, giving the cloak off your back, etc. Why does the Pope need all the gilded luxury and whatnot? Um, okay, but anyway... Luther objected to a saying attributed to Johann Tetzel that as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory, also attested as into heaven, springs. He insisted that since forgiveness was God's alone to grant, those who claimed that indulgences absolved buyers from all punishments and granted them salvation were in error. Christians, he said, must not slacken in following Christ on account of such false assurances. According to Philip Melanchthon or Melanchthon? Oh, that's a hard one. Writing in 1546, Luther, and here in quotes it says, wrote theses on indulgences and posted them on the Church of All Saints on 31 October 1517, an event now seen as sparking the Protestant Reformation. Some scholars have questioned Melanchthon's account since he did not move to Wittenberg until a year later and no contemporaneous evidence exists for Luther's posting of the theses 
and no contemporaneous evidence exists for Luther's posting of the theses. Others counter that such evidence is unnecessary because it was the custom at Wittenberg University to advertise a disputation by posting theses on the door of All Saints Church, also known as Castle Church. The 95 theses were quickly translated from Latin into German, printed and widely copied, making the controversy one of the first in history to be aided by the printing press. Within two weeks, copies of the theses had spread throughout Germany, within two months throughout Europe. And it's interesting. I'll have to include this in the YouTube version. I'm just looking at a picture. Well, not a photograph, obviously, but a painting of Martin Luther. And it's a famous one I've seen before. But he bears a striking resemblance to actor uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. At least in my opinion. Very bizarre. And I figure while I'm here in Wikipedia land, I might as well read uh, the first paragraph on indulgences here. In the teaching of the Catholic Church, an indulgence is a way to reduce the amount of punishment one has to undergo for sins, which may reduce either or both of the penance required after a sin has been forgiven or after death, the time to be spent in purgatory. In the language of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, an indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven which the faithful Christian who is duly disposed gains under certain prescribed conditions through the action of the church, which as the minister of redemption dispenses and applies with authority the treasury of the satisfactions of Christ and the saints. The recipient of an indulgence must perform an action to receive it. This is most often the saying once or many times of a specified prayer, but may also include the visiting of a particular place or the performance of specific good works. And uh, here's a section on late medieval abuses. And I think this might explain why there's some confusion as to whether indulgences, as they were originally intended, were just meant to free someone from or shorten the length of temporal punishments or or maybe at best shorten the amount of time in uh, purgatory or something like that. Uh, why there's confusion between whether indulgences were for that or whether indulgences actually granted salvation. That seems to be a common misconception, which even I was under um, until uh, recently um, when I read that reply from uh, Will Nist. Okay, so it says, However, the later Middle Ages saw the growth of considerable abuses. Greedy commissaries sought to extract the maximum amount of money for each indulgence. Professional pardoners, <laughs> pardoners in quotes, quaestores, I think it is in Latin. I think the A-E is pronounced as I in uh, Latin. Because so I think, is it uh, heaven or the firmament is Looks like Calum, C-A-E-L-U-M or something like that, but it's actually pronounced Kylum. Yeah, I don't know why that one Latin word sticks with me, but uh, Kylum. Um, yeah, I was right. Okay, vault of heaven, sky, atmosphere, climate, weather. But anyway, uh, the uh, pardoners who are sent to collect alms for a specific project practice the unrestricted sale of indulgences. Many of these stories or quai stories. Uh, my Latin's as bad as my, well, or worse than my English. Um, 
Many of these uh, exceeded official church doctrine, whether an avarice or ignorant zeal, and promised rewards like salvation from eternal damnation in return for money. With the permission of the church, indulgences also became a way for Catholic rulers to fund expensive projects, such as crusades and cathedrals, by keeping a significant portion of the money raised from indulgences in their lands. There was a tendency to forge documents declaring that indulgences had been granted. Indulgences grew to extraordinary magnitude in terms of longevity and breadth of forgiveness. And then it says, The Fourth Lateran Council suppressed some abuses connected with indulgences, spelling out, for example, that only a one-year indulgence would be granted for the consecration of churches and no more than a 40 days indulgence for other occasions. The council also stated that Catholics who have girded themselves with the cross for the extermination of heretics, wow, shall enjoy the indulgences and privileges granted to those who go in defense of the Holy Land. And I'll just read this one little bit because this is pretty damn funny. An engraving by Israel Van Mackinum, I think it is, of the of the Mass of St. Gregory contained a, in quotes, bootlegged indulgence of 20,000 years. 20,000 years. One of these copies of this plate, one of the copies of this plate was altered in a later state to increase it to 45,000 years. Man. And, and I talked about indulgences um, shortening you know, supposedly the amount of time in purgatory, as Will mentioned. But I thought I remember hearing, too, that indulgences could be bought for the deceased, too, to supposedly decrease the time that a loved one had to spend in a purgatory. And just so I don't get accused of leaning too heavily on Wikipedia, I find it to be pretty darn trustworthy, um, despite the fact that's not the type of thing you'd want to cite uh, in a scholarly paper or something like that. Uh, but just so I don't look like I'm being too lazy, I'll read a little bit from a, an EDU site, too. Uh, this is from wcupa.edu. Martin Luther, 1483 through 1546, was born in Thuringia, Saxony, in what is now the country of Germany. His father was a successful foundry owner and mine operator, so he had enough money to send his son to study law in the town of Erfurt. <laughs> Instead, Luther joined the religious order of the Augustinian hermits. That sounds fun. Uh, the, uh, I like the sound of it, the Augustinian hermits. It's funny, you know, I'm a godless libertine, but for some reason I, I've always uh, thought it'd be cool to live the life of quiet contemplation of like a, a hermit or a monk. Um in actuality, probably not that fun. I'd probably just romanticize it too much thinking about, you know, the all the solitary contemplation, the uh, transcribing of manuscripts and, uh, and that sort of thing. But I don't know, but probably depending on what order you were in, uh, you, there might be a lot of wearing of hair shirts and uh, self-flagellation, etc., I think they were called the flagellates or something. There was, a, uh, there was this practice where monks during the time of the plague would, uh, I think, kind of parade through infected towns, uh, you know, whipping and beating themselves, etc. I think um, 
according to, uh, I think, a, a History Channel documentary I saw on the Black Death, they almost achieved this kind of rock star status. And, of course, th- that could take us into the whole angle about uh, the type of lascivious uh, conduct that might have went on in uh, behind doors in certain monasteries and things like that. Is it Terry Jones, one of the members from... Uh, Monty Python, all, all those guys were really brilliant, well-educated guys. I think it was Terry Jones, who I, I still have it on video somewhere. He did a series years ago called Medieval Lives, and I think he did a whole episode on uh, monks and talked about some of the corruption and libidinous uh, behavior that took place in certain monasteries. But anyway... Uh, yeah, so Martin Luther, uh, against his father's wishes, um, joined the Order of the Augustinian Hermits, studied theology. He studied under Johann von Stoppitz. I'm probably butchering that. And eventually replaced him as a professor of biblical studies at the University of Wittenberg. Luther remained there for most of the rest of his life. Well, in his early 30s, Luther began to have doubts about the theological basis for much of the daily practices of the Catholic Church. In other words, he wondered if all of the things done by Catholic leaders could be justified. To organize his thinking, Luther composed a list of statements and questions that became known as the 95 Theses. In November 1517, someone printed and distributed them without his permission, uh, causing a stir throughout the highest levels of the Catholic Church. And this is saying in November. So if the account of Luther nailing the uh, theses to the door of Castle Church on October 31st is true, this is obviously, you know, probably shortly afterwards. Uh, someone printed, distributed them without his permission, causing a stir throughout the highest levels of the Catholic Church. The Pope condemned him in 1520, and um, it looks like in, in a 1520 papal bull by the name of Exerge Domine, but all that did was make Luther more radical. In the same year, Luther wrote The Freedom of a Christian, the Pagan Servitude of the Church, and an Appeal to the Ruling Class of the German Nation. They explained Luther's theory of salvation, soteriology, his theory of the church, ecclesiology, and his theory of the role of the state in church reform. Although his writings made Luther the philosophical leader of the Protestant Reformation, they also increased the pressure on him to recant. The Holy Roman Emperor found him guilty of heresy at a religious trial at the city of Worms. Uh, But when Luther refused to back down, he became the Reformation's moral leader as well. And then the History Channel has kind of a cool little feature on their site called This Day in History, and they have one for October 31st, Martin Luther posts 95 Theses. On this day in 1517, the priest and scholar Martin Luther approaches the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nails a piece of paper to it containing the 95 revolutionary opinions that would begin the Protestant Reformation. In these theses, Luther condemned the excesses and corruption of the Roman Catholic Church, especially the papal practice of asking payment, called indulgences for the forgiveness of sins. At the time, a Dominican priest named Johann Tetzel, commissioned by the Archbishop of Mainz and Pope Leo X, was in the midst of a major fundraising campaign in Germany to finance the renovation of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Though Prince Frederick III, the wise, had banned the sale of indulgences in Wittenberg, many church members traveled to purchase 
purchased them. When they returned, they showed the pardons they had bought to Luther, claiming they no longer had to repent for their sins. And that's pretty much just reiterating or downright repeating what I already uh, read or said earlier. And since I'm discussing Martin Luther, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of a attraction to all things weird and morbid. And there's a little story that's always stuck with me about Martin Luther supposedly throwing an inkwell at the devil to try to uh, banish him. And uh, I remember, at least according to one account I heard or a documentary I watched, there was a theory that Martin Luther may have suffered from uh, some sort of mood disorder, maybe depression or something like that. And, uh, or maybe bipolar. And he, from a young age, thought he had been hounded by devils or things or being nagged by, you know, the entities or something like that. And one day he became so fed up that he hurled an inkwell at the devil or had a, had a, uh, an ongoing practice of supposedly hurling, uh, an inkwell at the devil or something. But I think another interpretation is that it's meant to be taken figuratively and throwing ink at the devil means using scripture or words uh, against the devil. Um, but here's a site. Uh, I don't know uh, if it's perhaps uh, biased in the in favor of, of Luther and uh, Protestantism in general. It, it's called RedeemerLutheran.net. Uh, but it talks a little bit about this incident. Throwing ink at the devil. Years ago, when Taurus visited the study of Martin Luther in the Wartburg Castle, the docent inevitably would point to the dark stain next to the desk of the reformer and announce, This is the ink stain left when Martin Luther threw an ink bottle at the devil. The story was so well known that it was included in a famous collection of stories by the Grimm brothers, responsible for the publishing of Grimm's fairy tales. An English translation reads, Dr. Luther at the Wartburg. I think it's Wartburg. Usually in German, the W is pronounced as a V, right? If, if there's any uh, people fluent in German out there, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, let's see. Dr. Luther sat at the Wartburg translating the Bible. The devil did not like this and wanted to disturb the sacred work. But when he tried to tempt him, Luther grabbed the ink pot from which he was writing and threw it at the evil one's head. Still today, they show the room in the chair where Luther was sitting. Today, the tour guides at Wartburg do not mention the incident and the stain to Taurus. The stain has, I have heard, either faded away or been removed by someone embarrassed by the perceived silliness of the story. To most living in Western society these days, Luther's attack on Satan with ink has been all but explained away by modern psychology. A good example of this is the report of the Tintenfoss? <laughs> the Tintenfoss Affair by the Museum in Wittenberg found under its Legends About Luther section. Since his childhood, Luther was pestered by devils, evil spirits, and demons. And I think that's what I was just alluding to. And it might be, you know, probably is entirely speculation, but there's a theory that Luther may have, you know, had some kind of mood disorder or been troubled by depression or mood swings or something like that. Um, but he supposedly uh, described being pestered by devils, evil spirits, and demons, etc. And of course, I mean, if he actually thought he was hearing and seeing demons, that would probably be more akin to schizophrenia than depression. But it could be, you know, what they used to call melancholia. 
you know, he might have experienced some kind of depressed mood or something like that and attributed it to the devil or some such. He reported about such occurrences during his later life as well. These fears of being attacked increased especially during his time of seclusion at the Wartburg. Luther ascribed his depressions and mood swings to these evil spirits. This constant fear of Satan is normal for the late Middle Ages and rooted in the religious upbringing within his home and at school. Luther defended himself against this constant hostility through prayer, happy song or more rigorously by throwing his inkwell. Luther, awakened by the devil during the night, supposedly courageously defended himself against Satan by throwing an inkwell at him. And then this article goes on to discuss how this idea of throwing ink may have actually been, as I said, meant to be taken figuratively, and it means to use scripture or maybe your own contemplative writings or something like that to quote-unquote banish the devil. But I've been doing this show for roughly about three years now. I think this is the first time I've ever really gone in-depth into uh, Martin Luther. So this is pretty cool. I enjoyed doing this episode, and I didn't think... I would do it, and I, I probably wouldn't have done this episode if it wasn't for uh, Will Nist um, kind of spurring me to study up a little bit more on um, indulgences in the Reformation. So thanks, Will. And uh, with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill. You can like the show on Facebook, follow on Twitter, Subscribe through iTunes, rate the show through iTunes. You can you can listen to all the episodes going back to the very first uh, episode on Podbean. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. And if you feel like supporting the show monetarily, you can do so by using the PayPal widget on the Podbean site. There's all that alliteration. And also, if you want to uh, support the show monetarily, you can do so via Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash doubt and donate as little as a dollar a month. And that helps me cover the cost of things like uh, basically hosting the feed for this show. I use Podbean as my kind of middleman. You can't just upload stuff directly to iTunes. You need an RSS feed uh, first. And so uh, my feed is basically hosted through Podbean, and I have some kind of premium package with them that costs me about 19 bucks a month. And I think I'm up to about 12 bucks a month in Patreon uh, pledges now. And I think of that as helping to cover that 19 bucks a month I have to pay to uh, Podbean. And did I mention the YouTube channel? You can also check out the YouTube channel and... I think I'm finally starting to garner a little bit more attention on YouTube, and I'm really thankful to the YouTube audience. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, great people out there who have been returning every week and uh, interacting with me and, you know, exchanging comments. People like Django, uh, <laughs> uh, Dirk Stabbins, not his Christian name, Blaze Cunningham, and I'm sure I'm butchering their name yet again, uh, Alicia or Alicia Asart Dominica. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm slowly accruing a kind of uh, fairly loyal uh, viewer base or audience, I think. <laughs> so I want to thank uh, you guys, that ragtag Motley crew over on YouTube. 
uh, interacting with me every week. Uh, with that being said, uh, you know, thanks for listening or watching if you're on YouTube. And until next week. <laughs>